You are listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javet, a podcast that presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Here is your host. In this podcast, we cover everything from churches and church planting efforts, mission and missions organization evangelism, and unreached people groups, emerging movements and initiatives, justice, current events related to faith, and the persecuted church to author interviews, and more. Let's get to it. Hello and welcome back to our Urban Voices. I'm your host, Dr. Alphonse Javi. Today, I'm joined by Peter Lewin youth and associate pastor of Calvary Burmese Church in Washington, D.C. Our topic today focuses on the challenges of pastoring an ethnic church in the U.S., especially during a period of military conflict in his home country back in Myanmar. Before we jump in a little bit uh, about Peter. Like I said, he has been the youth pastor at Calvary Burmese Church for the last uh, uh, 10 years and is now also the associate pastor there. Peter was born and raised in Myanmar, coming to the U.S. when he was 11. And he will talk more about that. His wife, Michelle, and his two sons join him in ministry. Thanks for joining us today, Peter. How you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Javed. It is truly an honor. Um, This is something that has been uh, on my mind, especially with Myanmar, my home country. So I'm glad we are getting a chance to talk about it and hopefully um, get the word out for more prayers needed for my home country. So Peter, for any listener who aren't familiar with the Myanmar Can you tell us a little bit about Myanmar, where it is, how many Christians live there, and the current political political situation there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Myanmar is in Southeast Asia. Um, If you don't, if you just imagine where India is, where China is, where Thailand is, we are sandwiched right between those three countries. So east of India, south of China, and west of Thailand. Small country, probably not even as big as Texas. So you can just kind of imagine the magnitude and the size of the country and how big Texas is uh, for obvious reasons. Um, But as of current, um, there are about 54 million people who live in Myanmar. Um, Myanmar is a very, very strong Buddhist country. Um, 88% of the population are Buddhists, and only about 6%, 6 6.2% are Christians, and the rest are uh, Muslims. But as you know, you can kind of just imagine, um, there is very, very few Christians and a great feel for ministry and a great um, magnitude of people who are still um, reachable, who are still lost, who there is just so much to be done for. So that is Myanmar and, and the current uh, population as for the political situation, as many of your listeners may or may not know, February 1st of 2021, um, that's when the the people elected democratic government was supposed to take over. That was supposed to be their day in the country. Was it hopeful? The people in Myanmar were very, very hopeful 
for a, a better future because for the past, um, I want to say about a decade or so, Nama had been continuously uh, growing um, from infrastructure to the economy to everything else. And just to have the that all of that hope taken away from the people of Myanmar for the newer new generation of uh, youth and young individuals, it was a uh, as much as a shock as it was on February first of twenty twenty one when the military yeah. staged the coup. It was a sad day for everyone in the country. And I say everyone because there is, uh, you know, the the elite, the military families are so few in comparison to the 54 million people that I just mentioned earlier. And so till this day, uh, the coup has not relinquished or released their power yet. They um, made up some some things about the leaders, and most of your listeners may have heard of the name Do Aung San Suu Kyi, who is really the um, the advocate, the person who represents democracy in the country, and all of the our hopes were on her and her party, and to have all of that taken away literally overnight, I think it's just uh, it's just been unfair. Uh, I think everyone feels that sentiment and everyone even feels anger towards the, the military and the, the generals and all the leaders who took over without reasons um, that we can ever imagined. Most of it is just greed and power. So that's the um, political climate situation. Um yeah. When you say Christian, 6% Christians, I, I do want to talk more about the um, about the reaction of your congregation uh, to this recent coup. But before that, I just want to go back. You said 6% Christians. So when you say 6% Christians, uh, I understand because I'm from Pakistan. And when we say Christians, that also means uh, just, the, just the term Christian. So when you say Christians, uh, do you have an idea how many of them are really, you know, uh, born again believers? Let's say. Born yeah, again. I think you're, you're right. Of the six point six percent, that's just like a, a general. Like everyone gets lump sumped into um, any Christian, I guess, denomination. Really gets lumped into there. Mm-hmm. As far as like the the serious born again Christians who have who are not just um, Christians because their parents were or who are not Christians because they were forced to by I don't know their their family right um, it it's I, I don't I don't know the exact number but I would say out of the six percent maybe a couple few at best um, because there are a lot of um, you know, individuals, even in my families too, even with people I know, the churches that I attended when I was younger, it's a Christian church that I went, I grew up in the Baptist church. Um, but when it comes to, to, um, I would say like doctrine, it's, a, um, it's not, um, it's not all a hundred percent spirit led, if, if that makes sense. So let's uh, let me ask you the real question that I wanted to ask you was uh, what what has the reaction of your congregation been to the recent coup? 
especially of the young people because you work with them. Yeah, absolutely. On February 1st, when we found out. Um, so it's February 1st in Myanmar um, in the morning, but we found out in the United States, it's January 31st at nighttime. Um, that's when everything was going on. So as soon as we found out, posts started appearing on social media. Um, families were calling each other to make sure that they were okay because of, um, you know, the, the possible protests and the possible reaction from the military that could, um, uh, you know, break out. So when we first heard it, it was just total unbelief. Um, the whole country was ready for a new democratic government. And so the families here, um, out here, and, and, you know, not just in the United States, but outside and other countries as well, everyone was in disbelief. And the first reaction to any kind of thing like this is, why God, right? Why God? Why would, why are you allowing wow. this to happen? Mm -hmm. uh, we know you are in control of everything. Nothing happens without you allowing so. And why God are you allowing this? And that's the, um, for me personally too, that's the first reaction that came up. Why God? Why now in this 21st century, there are still military coups being staged. And, you know, it's just like the movies, Right, and right. so the congregation's first reaction was just that, why? But then I think um, as a congregation and as families um, started to, you know, let the reality of the situation sink in, the next reaction that we had was, okay, what can we do now? What can we physically do as a congregation, as a family who are outside of the country, we are only getting news and snippets um, from families about details of what's going on. And so the congregation's reaction, secondly, was to start praying. We had lots of prayer groups. You know, this is, mind you, this is also in the middle of a global pandemic. And so we can gather uh, as a church family to even go to the church and pray together. We started hosting a lot of zoom meetings zoom prayers fast and prayers um even for within our youth uh groups we started um doing chain prayers we started doing everything that we could possibly do um as a first reaction that's what that's the only thing that we knew how to do uh, was start praying and Thirdly, the third reaction was, okay, now that we are here, we're not here by accident. God didn't put us here. God didn't allow our parents, uh, families to immigrate to a different country just to, um, uh, just to live our life however we want here, just to enjoy the benefits of a democratic government and, and the lifestyle that we have. God placed us here for a reason what can we do? What is God telling us to do? And we went back to scripture, straight back to scripture. And pretty much we're supposed to take care of those in need. We're supposed to speak up for those who can't. We're supposed to 
um, you know, feed the hungry. We're supposed to take care of the poor. And so with that mindset and mentality, the church then turned into uh, kind of like a third stage reaction, if you will, where we started to partner with um, not just Christian organizations, every other organizations. So our church is based in DC. And so around DC, we have a lot of Burmese community presence, not just Christians, but Buddhists and other uh, religions alike. And so we started uniting together um, all in the name of peace. And we started rallying, going into uh, DC to do protests to, to seek out help from the government, to um, raise funds as much as we can because of all of the movements that were also happening at the same time in Myanmar, such as um, CDM and PDF, and, and you can Google those terms um, when you get a chance, but in all those movements that were happening and how can we help as a church? How can we be the hands and feet of Jesus as we are called to be as a church and as a body of the church, how can we do exactly that? So that was our third reaction, which is still continuing till this day. We are still doing a lot. There's still a lot to be done. There's still a lot of people in Myanmar who were displaced from their homes who had to give up their life to to um, to run, pretty much run, and some have gone to other countries' borders to seek refuge. Some have um, uh, left families behind, and it's just you know within our church we have a couple individuals who had to leave their families behind just because um, they had some uh, some role in the political. Um, realm and they they had to run they had to leave their family behind and now we have families separated so you know as a church how do we just be the the hands and feet of Jesus how do we um, do the best we can with what's been given to us the opportunities that's been given to us and how do we uh, be good stewards of all of God, all of the blessings really that God has given to us. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, you know, that's. And just, man, if just, nothing just, else, I know that the Lord is, um, is, he's gracious when it comes to prayer. Absolutely. I think that's, that's, that's the right attitude. Uh, Sometimes we, we try to do more without uh, praying more. So yeah. I think. That's that's good thing, and then uh, just just helping whether it's second generation uh, or third generation, um, just just helping them to know that they can do more mm-hmm. uh, for their uh, fellow brothers and sisters back home. That's awesome. I, I think we did not talk about this, but you are actually the first youth pastor we had uh, have had on the show. Uh, what, what's one of the biggest challenges, youth pastors, I'm just stepping away from our topic. I just mm-hmm. want to hear uh, about this too. So what, what what's one of the biggest challenges youth pastors are facing right now? And how have you addressed that? And I know that's a vague question. There's a lot of things going on. I just wanted to know as a youth pastor, uh, what are those challenges? So our audience can 
can hear that too. Yeah. So I'll, I'll speak from, I guess, the standpoint of an immigrant church because our, you know, our, our church, the, I guess the first generation of church members are, were all born, raised in Burma and they grew up in Burma and they, they migrated here and uh, collectively as, as um, people from Myanmar who speak the same language started a church and even second generation, I would say. So now we're into um, like a third generation now where uh, their kids born and raised in here in America, or they were brought uh, like myself when we were young. So I came to the States when I was 11 um, and I'm, you know, in my 30, mid thirties now. So um, from that standpoint of things, especially as immigrant churches, language is always the barrier for us. Language is um, always the thing that um, always comes in between, it seems like. And uh, not just our church, but I, I speak to a lot of uh, the other Myanmar churches, Burmese congregations across the states. And, um, you know, we hear the same sentiment of how do we be effective in ministering to the young? Because most of them don't speak their mother's language anymore. They don't speak the native tongue anymore. They grew up here. They, they started in, you know, kindergarten, elementary, middle school here. And so they don't speak the language. And so how do we, uh, the, one of the biggest um, challenge that we had was how do we get them into the church? And, you know, that is just a, um, a challenge that we've, we've had over the past, I would say, five, 10 years, because when I was a youth in the church, most of us still spoke Burmese or Myanmar, um, and most of us spoke well enough um, Myanmar that we are able to communicate freely, and, and a lot of the youth at that time and we call ourselves youth, but most of us, most of uh, my, I guess my peers, my older peers um, were in their late 20s, 30s, some even 40s. And they're still coming to youth because they just felt young. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> um, and so, you know, like we, we, we were able to <laughs> we were able to speak freely in Yama and uh, and that was fine. But now that, you know, like I, I, grew, I grew into the leadership role and, and youth pastor role, um, the challenge was certainly there to, to how do we bring them in and how do we get them to stay in, right? Mm-hmm. Bringing them in is fine. We, we mm-hmm. tell the parents, bring your kids to church. Yes, the parents can force their children to come into church. But, you know, like just because they come to church doesn't mean that they are necessarily uh, being fed properly in the spiritual sense because of language barrier. Most of our church services, all of our church services before were in all in Myanmar. And mm. so, you know, kids are just either staying there or they're running around in the back um, or they go into Sunday school. Over the past uh, decade or so, we, we started converting um, our Sunday school programs to, um, to have English speaking teachers, right? They're still mm. uh, from Myanmar but they, they've been in the country for a long time and they speak English. Um, so, you know, at, at least in Sunday school, we're able to do that. But 
as a worship in the worship experience in the actual like main service how do we get them in and so that's been a challenge not i think for almost all immigrant churches um and that challenge is is sometimes so great that um youth especially um who are you know who grew up here and they don't want to come to church yeah. anymore because they're not getting anything right um and so one they'll either just stop coming when they hit teenage years and their parents can't force them anymore right um, or, or two they'll go they'll go somewhere else um and if they go somewhere else great right if they are attending a a church that is ministering to their uh, their this spiritual maturity great but if they're going somewhere else um and they're just you know not um nothing is their life is not being impacted or affected in a positive way then then that's a, i would i consider that that as a loss so um you know from a standpoint of of that as an immigrant church the biggest problem that we have is the integrate those people yeah the language yeah. barrier and how we have addressed it so i think that's the second question um so I think God has a, a way of inserting or interjecting certain people at certain times. That's especially true in our church. I came to the States when I was 11. I can speak Myanmar fluently, although I don't know like all of the advanced vocabulary. I can still carry a conversation. And because I came here when I was 11, I, you know, I went through a, a middle, I started middle school here. And so I was able to pick up English um, much, I guess, faster than, than my older brother did. And so because I went to school here, now I'm bilingual. And I, I believe that God, when, when he called me initially, I ran just like almost any youth pastor story. <laughs> we never want to do it. We, just, we say yeah. no to God. <laughs> And but eventually, uh, I you know I just I just surrendered to my calling, and uh, um, being me being at this role I think really helped our church because we had a lot of um, the uh, the older generation of youth again late twenties thirties forties who were you know outgoing they're not attending the youth youth programs anymore they're not leading youths anymore mm-hmm. and um, and God just put me in that place at that time. And it's, it's all spiritually led. There's, I, I, there's no word to explain. There's no phrase or story to explain how everything just fell into place, but the spirit God. did it. And so, and then, you know, I surrendered to my calling and I slowly started to uh, minister to the younger generation. So the third generation, the the kids who were born and raised here. And when I started as, as a youth pastor, uh, the group that I was ministering to, um, they were just entering um, teenage years. And I've been with them for 10 years. So, you know, you can just kind of imagine um, the the amount of time I've had with them to minister right. to them and to really I think bridge that gap right, right. if if God didn't in, in, interject me in this place 
um, you know, I'm sure he would have used someone else, but uh, that it allowed the the gap between the older first and second generations who immigrated to the states and the third generation who were born um, allowed us to bridge, really bridge that gap. Because one one of the things that I that I always got when I went into teaching the youth is my parents, they don't, they don't get me. Our parents don't get us. That was like the, the, the common theme that we always talked about. Um, and, you know, speaking of, that's another challenge too, is <laughs> you have these youths who grew up here, who are used to the culture here, who are used to the traditions and the mindsets from here. And then you have their parents who grew up in another country and, you know, what they're bringing here. It's just totally different. So I was able to address those with the youths. I was able to address them in our conversations, in our biblical teachings, in our deep discussions that we have with them. And I think over the years, they they started getting it. I think they started just um, accepting that, hey, you're you're born here, but your bloodline and your parents, great grandparents, are from a totally different country. So you're always gonna have that 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 mix of um, you know different flavors, if you will. And you know you can't expect your parents to be like your parents at your school from your peers because they're just different and. You just need you just have to work around the differences and be able to come together. And so that's just how we've addressed it. So so you've been uh, bridging, so you've been bridging the gap, right? And uh, connecting the older generation with the younger, but so though your primary job is uh, the young people, but still uh, that's also beneficial for the older folks too. Because now they can see, okay, yeah, uh, he is able to communicate what we're trying to communicate in their language, so they can hear very clearly. Just youth in general, younger people generally think differently. Every young generation thinks that they are smarter than the older generation, <laughs> and they have figured out. So that's just a generally that's that's true with every ethnic group. All kind of people have the same problem. But then the second layer is the cultural linguistic layer of uh, Myanmar community. So are there any commonly held beliefs about beliefs about youth pastors you like you like to dispel now? Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I, I think my uh, my youth, not just my youth, but other youth as well, because we do a lot of fellowships with other churches, is that um, a youth pastor just has to be cool and hip. <laughs> Um, so he doesn't have to be that's what you're trying to tell me has to be cool and hip so yes he doesn't have to be cool and hip exactly okay. right um and you know like earlier in my ministry um uh and you know this is just me being vulnerable with you is earlier in my ministry um i did play the the comparison game uh, with myself to to other youth pastors i'm like man that youth pastor is so cool he, he's doing everything right or she's doing everything right. Well, that's why you got the three guitars over there. I wish <laughs> I was able to play one. And you got three on the back. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, and so, 
you know, um, I did that comparison game and I think um, the it's just a misconception of, you know, like, okay, you're a youth pastor. You have youth. And then the other one is a youth pastor has to be young. Not really. Um, I know other successful youth pastors who are like old parents and they have kids who are teenagers and they are very effective in their youth ministry. They're probably more effective because they know how to hand, handle teenagers. Um, so, you know, it's just those, those kind of beliefs that uh, a youth pastor just has to be, uh, I guess, quote unquote, in with the, um, the, 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 the cultural of just, you know, being the, you have to have a cool image and, um, you know, uh, talk, talk like the youth talk and, you know, just, just, just those misconceptions. And, and you think that only then the youth are going to listen to you. Not necessarily. I think the, um, you know, uh, a different side to that is I think a youth pastor just has to be caring. A youth pastor just has to live, um, you know, not just talk the talk, but also walk the walk. Right. So, Yes, I agree with that too, hundred percent. I'm with you, and I think that's also true with uh, any pastor. So, are there any commonly held beliefs about ethnic churches you disagree with, because you are pastoring an ethnic church? Yeah, um, and this is you know uh, not even from like outside looking in. Um, so, this is beliefs that there currently exist within our. Um, Yamaha churches and communities as well, is that um, if a church does not worship in English, uh, we think that that church is backwards. <laughs> wow. Um, because wow. because uh, here, here's, here's what it is. Um, if they think that there is no, like, at least uh, English-speaking youth pastor or English-speaking, some kind of English-speaking service, um, that their church is, you know, like, um, uh, there's a saying in Myanmar, uh, uh, the, the, the best definition or the best translation for that is, um, you know, you're, you're like a villager. <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not hip. You're not modern. You're like yeah, back you're in, a, yeah, yeah, your yeah. mindset, something like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, uh, some churches, because, you know, like they can do it, they do it great. But some churches, mm-hmm. you know, the, the pastor is ministering to literally folks who who just lost their home in, in, in Myanmar. And they went right. to they ran to Thailand and to, to be refugees and they applied for, um, you know, a status, a refugee status. And they get here and, and pastors are ministering, trying to minister to those folks who don't even speak Myanmar. They mm-hmm. speak just their very like simple ethnic language. And so, you know, it's just the misconception is that, oh, that church is very, um, you know, that, that old, backward. Old backward and, yeah. and because they don't have any, you know, any of these like modern um, contemporary style of worship, we think that it's just a very backwards church, which I certainly wow. disagree with because, you know, this God wants to move how he wants to move. Amen. Uh, and some churches are blessed with, uh, you know, all this uh, technology, but lack spirituality. Some yeah. churches are blessed with spirituality, lacking technology. Right. So, right. So 
it's it's that um it's, it goes back to that verse is um you know the first will be last the last will be first kind of kind of mm-hmm. kind of mentality kind of thinking so yeah it's just i think um you know especially in our ethnic churches especially for those pastors who are um, really, really serving the call and going to those areas where there is a large amount of just incoming refugees and administering to those. I think those pastors are coolest pastors. <laughs> wow. So, so a lot of uh, refugees are coming to the United States uh, mm-hmm. from Myanmar. So, um, so not uh, not like right now because of the military coup, but over the the years and the military coup started last year but even before right. there were a lot of civil wars um going on in myanmar and and uh, there are a lot of ethnic groups who were uh internally displaced idps as we call them internally mm-hmm. displaced people and a lot of them were displaced from their homes because of the military's greed or um, greed and power and you know, just overarching into uh, the land of the people because they, I don't know, they want to take over the land for something. I don't know exactly what they're probably natural resources or whatever. And so they would just take over. And then these, you know, these ethnic groups um, lose their homes, their, their, their families, even sometimes. And some of them have no choice, but to um, because we we border Thailand and Thailand takes a lot of the Myanmar refugees in, mm-hmm. a lot of them go there, and then you know some go to uh, to say the West to India as well, and apply for refugee status in other countries. So other countries include uh, U.S. takes in a lot of those refugees, and I forget exactly the year. There was a lot of um, influx of refugees coming in, um, and the United States was taking. Uh, them in god bless usa <laughs> and so there were a lot of areas um i know i think buffalo new york definitely took in a lot of those refugees um and then south down south as well i forget exactly the city state but they also took in a lot of refugees so you know uh for Myanmar pastors around those areas they were probably overjoyed with that. a lot yeah. of members coming in, but you know, of course that also comes with it, uh, its own challenges as right. well. Yeah. So as we get close to wrapping this up, what is something you would like Christians uh, to know Christians here and around the world, whoever is listening to this podcast to know and understand about Myanmar? I know you have already said so much and you have explained a lot of things. Is there something else you want to share? Yeah. Um, well, first off, man, Myanmar is a beautiful country. Um, I only stayed there for 11 years, and I go back every chance I get, but it's a beautiful country filled with God's creations. And, and that also includes the people um, he created. And as, as we told you earlier, I mean, 88% of Myanmar is still a missionary field. 88% of people in Myanmar are still needing, um, you know, to hear the gospel. We have a lot of Myanmar evangelists, um, you know, doing what God has called them to do. But as, as those of us who are outside, um, I would really like to ask for your prayers. Um, and if you would, you know, take up the missionary um, field 
if you want to choose where you want to go, um, I'm praying God shows you Myanmar because the people of Myanmar, I'm sure you guys have seen um, documentaries. Uh, and we were talking earlier, uh, Dr. Javed, of uh, Anthony Bourdain's documentary. And, you know, from the, the documentary, um, pretty much everyone who goes there, one of the thing, one thing that they always um, note and say is the people of Myanmar are, are very humble. Wow. And that they are. And they are so very, very humble and shows humility. And it's, it's baked into the, the Myanmar cultural tradition, but they're very humble. And they need, and, and this is my prayer too for Myanmar, is, man, it would, they need to just hear the gospel. They need to just hear, um, you know, the good news that, that you know, like the current political um, situation that's going on there. It's, it's sometimes it's going to be out of the control. Sometimes they can't do anything about it. And, and I want to just, you know, let everyone know to pray for Myanmar and just uplift Myanmar people in prayer um, and just um, help them in any way that they can. Um, uh, prayer is, of course, the most important thing, but there are right. other things that you can do as well. But well, let me go back. So if somebody wants to uh, minister there, what are the challenges to do ministry in Myanmar right now? Challenges are that a long time ago, not today, but long time ago on our, um, I guess on our IDs, we would typically have, you know, which, which religion you're associated with. And I remember my parents always talking about it when I was younger. Um, you know, if you, if you carry the badge of Christian on your ID, um, you know, sometimes you weren't giving the most uh, or the bestest opportunities um, uh, in, in work or, or, or any, anywhere else. And so the challenges of, of ministering in Myanmar is one, because it's just, uh, you know, it's a small country, 54 million, but that's certainly not a lot of people. Um, it's just being able to reach out to the community. Um, you know, it's, there's this uh, a stigma of, you know, Christianity equals bad or something, something like that, because yeah. you know, it was the Buddhist, Buddhist country. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it's, 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 it's hard um, sometimes as, as humble as they are, they'll listen to you and they'll give you the time of the day. But the, the challenge in itself is their mindsets are the way they, they live their life is, um, you know, they do good things now so that they can enjoy it in their next life. And, yeah. and that's how they operate, really. And even when we try to minister to a lot of them, you know, a lot of them are um, maybe not so receptive because, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a bad person. I know you're yeah. telling me about Jesus. I'm not a mm-hmm. bad person. I don't do bad things. Uh, I, this is what I believe. And, you know, this is this is what I grew up on. And this is what I believe. And mm. so sometimes, yes, those challenges are there just because of the stigma of um, Christians and um, everything else that comes along. Yeah. With it. 
So I know that uh, a couple of young people from your church have been very active in advocacy for the people of Myanmar since the coup, especially. If someone would like to get involved with that, how can they get started? What do they What do they need to do? Yeah, um, it's uh, actually those two who uh, who connected me to your ministry. So shout out to Terrence and Jen Jen uh, from our church. They lead a, a few organizations and help lead a few organizations. And you can reach out to them on social media. Um, so one is at GM4MD, G, the number four. And the other one is at USACM3. And they are leading the efforts in advocating, advocating about what's going on, advocating about what um, what you can do and how you can get involved. And one of those things that they do is there is currently a, a bill called the Burma Bill, which I think the long form is to protect democracy uh, in Burma. And so they are holding these Zoom trainings. If you didn't know about um, how to call into your state's representatives or senator's office to getting on board to sign the bill, to, to approve it, to to help the people of Myanmar. They're holding those sessions. They also have a lot of partnerships with other organizations and how you can get involved, whether if it's financially, whether if it's um, through advocating on their behalf, or whether if it's um, getting involved um, in any of the protests or any of the social media campaigns. They have a lot of those things going on. So do check them. Out. Again, GM4MD and USACM3s. Peter, if listeners wants to get in touch with you, what are the easiest ways? Yes, um, you can reach out to me on my Facebook, uh, Peter Lewin, just one word, L-W-I-N. Feel free to reach out to me, send me a, a message, and I'll be, sure. I'll be honored to yeah. uh, get to know you. Yep. Yeah, we'll put that link uh, in the episode descriptions as well. So as uh, we are getting ready to wrap it up, tell me quickly about your family, uh, which is so important to know you and it, it just humanizes us. So very quickly, tell me a little bit about your family. Sure. Join into the ministry with my wife, Michelle, and I have two sons. Uh, first, my older son's name is Seth and younger son's name is Silas. So the three and one. Um, and it's just Man, uh, doing ministry before kids, totally different. Doing ministry with kids, totally uh, different. <laughs> totally understand that. Totally, yeah, totally understand that. So I'm getting to uh, really enjoy, I guess, the the fruits, um, the the gifts uh, of of children from from God, and it's just been a great um, season in my life. Um, and you know. Uh, ministering to to my wife and my kids has been has been fun. Um, there are you know not without challenges, but I think those challenges um, really helped helps me grow in in my ministry with others as well. There's a um, uh, a quote that I heard the other day, um, which went something like, "In our in our peaks, in our highest moments, um, God inspires us. In in our valleys." God matures us. So yeah. yeah, I think that's, that's so good. Um, and you know, uh, those, those with kids will attest that sometimes yeah. 
feel like we're in the valleys. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I would say even this, uh, I have four children, uh, five, three, and my twins are a year and a half. So um, when, when it comes to children, I often, I think they should be our strength mm-hmm. rather than our weakness. Because yeah. of my children, I see God differently, the way he reacts to me. I learn from my experience that, oh, my, uh, he is really merciful. He's really kind. He's sweet. So it teaches me so much. So I agree with you, man. Um, yes, so absolutely. The, finally, the last question is super difficult one. I think <laughs> uh, you should think about that. And I do this with other guests too. So, and that is, uh, do you know any good jokes? Because I like you to tell me a joke to lighten the mood. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I came across something the other day and I thought I, I literally almost fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> it's one of those jokes where you have to listen all the way to the end. And I saved it on my phone. So um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read it real sure. quick. Um, so here it is. So a, a Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to thaw out during a particularly icy winter. They plan to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on Thursday, while his wife planned to fly down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel. There was a computer in his room, so he decided to send an email to his wife. However, he accidentally left out one letter of her email address and sent the email without realizing his error. Meanwhile, somewhere in in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral. He was a Baptist minister who was called home to glory following a heart attack. Now the widow decided to check her email, expecting condolence messages from family and friends. But after reading her very first email, she screamed and fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor, and saw the computer screen, which read, To my loving wife, subject, I've just arrived today. I know you're surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now, and you are allowed to send emails to your loved ones. Since I've just arrived, I thought I would send you an email. Everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. Oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good icebreaker. Good job, man. That's good. Very good. Yeah, fantastic. That's good. So thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Uh, Again, that was uh, Peter Lewin of Calvary Burmese Church, Washington, D.C. And thank you to all our listeners. If you appreciate this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave an honest review wherever you listen to your podcast. You've been listening to Our Urban Voices with Dr. Alphonse Javed, which presents Christian narratives through diverse voices that impact urban ministry. Please check back for new episodes every week.